Well, good morning. Um, I'm just so excited to be worshiping with you all. Um, just hearing the stories of evangelism last night, and actually last night there was a testimony of just this amazing healing. Um, you know, Danielle and I always talk about just how encouraged we are uh, being part of this community where it just feels like everywhere we turn, there are people that are on fire for the Lord. And, uh, and you know, as I think about just how sort of passionate and hungry we are as a community uh, for the Lord to move, I just grow all the more in urgency with the uh, topic for today, uh, which is holiness. Uh, because, you know, as much as we can shout and dance, and I mean, I love it. Uh, you know, I'm no good at dancing, but apparently that's okay in church. And uh, I love shouting. You guys know, you know, most of you know that I cry all the time, and that's awesome. You know, Jesus, when he was on earth, he, he cried out to the Father with, with loud cries and tears, with reverence. So I'm all for that. Uh, but as Kathy preached about two weeks ago, like, emotions and passion is not what brings down the presence of the Lord. Right? And even as we think about evangelism, like how can we evangelize and preach the gospel if we ourselves aren't walking in holiness? Right? How can we call people into a relationship with Jesus if we aren't ourselves following him? And so, you know, I'm just so filled with a sense of urgency um, with this uh, message. Um, if you've been here with us past couple of weeks, how many of you have been here with all three weeks of the whole, all right, church attendance? Something to work on. Uh, but we've, been, uh, we've been talking about holiness. And so today what we're going to do is uh, talk more specifically about what holiness is and how to define it. Uh, and so we'll, we'll just get started right, right away in the book of Leviticus. So you can turn there. I'm glad that uh, Kathy sold this book two weeks ago so I don't have to do it. Um, but it is a very important book. So we're in Leviticus chapter 10. I'll be reading from the ESV. All right, and you can also follow along on the screen behind me, probably. All right, verse 1, it says this. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took a censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. So I wasn't intending on, uh, I just found this passage on accident when I was looking through Leviticus, looking about, reading about holiness. And uh, this, this passage kind of freaked me out. I was like, what the heck is going on? Uh, why is God putting to death Aaron's sons? I had never known about this story. Uh, and so I decided, just out of curiosity, to sort of look into it and, and see what's going on. And so to give you a bit of the context leading up to this sort of strange, bizarre story, uh, in Leviticus chapter 1 through 7, God basically gives the Israelites, the commandments for how to give the offerings, okay? And then Leviticus chapter 8, because God just commanded to them to sort of figure out how to give the offerings, uh, God ordains Aaron as the high priest. So he's the first high priest in Israel so that he can do what the Lord has commanded, which is give the offerings. Uh, and then in chapter 9, and we'll camp out there for a bit, so you, you can sort of flip there if you want or uh, you don't have to, but... 
in chapter 9, basically God has just given them the rules on how to give the offerings. And so in chapter 9, Aaron gives those first offerings. Okay. And uh, it says this in, in Leviticus 9.4. Basically, Moses is giving him instructions on how to give the offering. And it says this. Um, he said, bring an ox and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil. For today, the Lord will appear to you. And then in verse 6, he sort of says the same thing. And Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. And I feel like for, for me, when I read those, right, I think about that's exactly what Hilltop, that's exactly what Jehop is pursuing, right? Like week after week, we're singing, we're crying out, Lord, show us your glory. Would you visit us with your presence, right? And this is sort of just an aside point, but uh, I don't think it's just a coincidence that first the Israelites make an atonement for the sins, and then the glory comes, right? That's the divine, it's not a coincidence. Now, of course, we're holy, made perfectly righteous in Christ, but there's also a work of sanctification, right, throughout our lives. And the divine pattern is first the atonement, first the consecration, and then the holiness. There's, there's no shortcuts around that, right? Uh, and so Moses says, listen, make the offerings, and then the glory of the Lord would appear to you. Uh, and then we're just kind of going through this quickly. But uh, in verse 16, it says that Aaron presented the burnt offering and... According, uh, he offered it according to the rule. That's very critical for understanding chapter 10. Okay, so Aaron gives the offering according to the rule. And so what happens? I mean, the Lord's promises are always true, right? He said he would come, so he does. So in verse 23, uh, you could take a look there. It says, and Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So he promised that he would come and his glory comes, right? And uh, notice it's not, just like a, it's not just like a charismatic party, right? It's like the tangible glory. I mean, we, all, uh, we often think that like just having like nice worship is the presence of the Lord, right? But as Kathy admonished us last uh, a couple weeks ago, right, that's not what it's about. It's experiencing the genuine presence of the Lord. Uh, so again, this is all sort of context for chapter 10, right? So we get to the story of Nadab and Abihu. And uh, it's clear that, well, they got put to death because they're making an unauthorized sacrifice, whereas Aaron did it according to the rule, right? But I was sort of sitting there just wondering, like, man, this is, like, so severe. Because actually, if you read on in chapter 10, uh, God puts them, the two sons to death. And then he says to Aaron and his other sons, the surviving sons, he says, if you even let down your hair loose and tear your garments, basically, if you even mourn for them, I will put you to death, too. So it's just like, wow, like, that's really intense. <laughs> and uh, I was just sitting there and praying, and I was just like, I don't know, you know, God, what, what's going on? And I just felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. Uh, basically that you can't manufacture the glory of the Lord. You know, I, I was thinking about that, and actually as I read other commentaries, they sort of back this up, so it's not, I, you know, I'm not just making this up. I think it was <laughs> the Lord speaking. Uh, but I was just thinking, like, 
I can imagine Nadab and Abihu, they just saw the fire come. And they just saw all of Israel just like fall on their faces. And they're like, I want that. And I, and I feel like that's so symptomatic of us young people, right? I'm included. I'm, uh, I, I hope I'm young. It looks like I'm young. Uh, but like we hear stories of like Azusa Street or... Uh, you know, Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship, or I mean, the Book of Acts, the Great Awake, all these things. And we're like, I want that. I want to experience the glory of the Lord in that way. But we have the audacity to think that we can somehow take shortcuts and manipulate the glory of the God and say, oh, if I just come a couple of Sundays and sing songs and jump up and down and clap and, and just cry out on Saturday nights, that somehow that's going to be able to bring down the fire of the Lord. When Aaron offered the offering according to the rule, and what's the rule? The rule is holiness, and then the glory comes. There's no shortcuts in that. And it's a hard teaching, I think, especially for us young people that just want to sort of, you know, experience God just, you know, tomorrow. If I just fast today, then God will come tomorrow. But that's just not how it works, right? But um, again, we're looking for, okay, what, what does the Lord teach us about holiness? Because um, I think that many of you, if not most of you, would just sort of, what, what comes to your mind when you think of holiness? You think maybe purity or righteousness. Um, but there's another critical element that we need to really lock into. And so after this, in the aftermath of the, the sons of Aaron being put to death, the Lord sort of gives like a diagnosis of what's going on. He's like, okay, here's the issue. Uh, so if you want to look at Leviticus 10, verse 10, it's just one verse, but it's critical. And uh, you can think of 10, 10. I can imagine sort of the Lord being like, okay, here's the issue. Here's the problem. Okay, here's, here's the sons of Aaron being put to death. Everyone's like in shock. And he says this, here's the problem. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean, and you are to teach the people of Israel all the statutes that the Lord has spoken to them by Moses. Here's the issue, is that you don't know yet how to distinguish between the holy and the common. And what you'll notice here is interesting. Uh, he's saying distinguish between the holy and the common, and the, what's common is not necessarily what's bad. Right? It's not inherently wicked, but somehow in the mystery of God's wisdom, it's critical to him that we learn to distinguish between the holy and the common. So we begin to see what, uh, what God's trying to say, how, did, how he defines holiness, right? Well, he teaches the Israelites right away how to distinguish between the holy and the common. Uh, in chapter 11, you don't have to turn there, but he just goes right into chapter 11, giving, them, giving the Israelites the rules for uh, basically what you can eat and what you cannot eat. So the you know, kosher rules, you can't eat bacon, you can't eat shellfish. So we all know that, right? And it's kind of weird. It's like, why, why is God giving them commandments about what to eat and what not to eat? And if you think about it, like all animals, like there's no wicked animals, <laughs> right? Like God created everything and he saw that it was good. Uh, in the New Testament, Jesus says, uh, he declares all foods clean. And remember that scene with the sheet coming down with all the animals, right? So there's nothing bad about those animals. So why is he so sort of obsessed with like distinguishing between the clean and unclean, right? Well, what's interesting is that uh, Leviticus 11 is the first time 
in all the Bible, where there's this very famous uh, holiness verse, Leviticus 11.45, says, For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So again, we see that somehow in the mysteries of God's wisdom, it's somehow important for him uh, in, in thinking about what is holiness, what he's asking the Israelites to be. It's critical to him that the Israelites learn to distinguish between clean and unclean animals. So again, it's like, why? Why is that, like, why is that a thing? But um, thankfully, praise be to God, he gives us the explanation, and uh, he usually doesn't leave us in the dark. Uh, so last sort of stop in Leviticus here, Leviticus 20. I think you should turn there. This is important. It's an explanation for yeah, what's the deal with the animals? <laughs> why can't I eat bacon, right? I mean, actually, we can, but why can't the Israelites eat bacon, right? So Leviticus, and, and you can just sort of flip through there. If you're starting to zone out, you can just sort of read, <laughs> read through there. Um, but I'm just going to skip to verse 24. Uh, it says, you shall inherit their land. Uh, land flowing with milk and honey. And he says, I'm the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. So this is verse 24 and 25 in Leviticus 20. And so what does it say? It says, the Lord has separated the Israelites from among all the peoples. And then he says, Therefore, or that's why, you also need to learn how to separate between the clean and unclean animals. Because just like I separated you from out all the people, in the same way, you need to distinguish between the holy and the common, the clean and the unclean. Okay, and here's the kicker. Here's the point of all this. Verse 26 of, of Leviticus 20, it says this. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. That's the whole point of holiness. I mean, Pastor Daryl always talks about, he's been talking about recently about, it's not just a laundry list, right? It's not just a, you know, checking off a list of things to do and not to do, right? What's the point of holiness? So that we're set apart so that we should be God's own. We worship a jealous God with a jealous love. He's always after our heart. Holiness is not just a you know, set of restrictions for no reason. He knew that this was necessary so that we would be his. You know, from Genesis to Revelation, the story of the Bible is God's desire that we would be his and that he would be our God. That's what it's all about. God's desire is that we should be his, a people of his own possession. That's the whole point of holiness. And uh, so what do we see after all of this? We see that to be holy is to be set apart. It's not just purity. It's not just righteousness. It is those things. Probably those are the most important things. But to be holy is to be set apart. And this is actually why um, in Isaiah 6, you know that scene where, where Isaiah sees the, the king high and lifted up, God high and lifted up, and uh, he's like completely undone. He's like, woe is me, I'm done. Uh, destroy me now, right? And I, I get that because, because Isaiah is a sinner. But then why are the seraphim covering their faces and their feet? Right? Because seraphim don't have sin. 
right? I mean, it says in Second Peter that uh, when the angels sin, uh, God sent them down to hell. So the angels that remain don't have sin. So wh- what's the issue? Why are they cowering in God's presence? It's because even with sinless, completely pure creatures, they are still infinitely less holy than our God who is holy, holy, holy. That's why they're crying out, holy. They can't even look at him because he's so holy. Why? It's not because he's more pure than them per se. It's because he's so set apart. He's so different. He's so unique in his glory. There's no one like him. And this is why it's not a problem uh, when, when Paul says, uh, you know, uh, in Second Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, I think, 5. No, 2 Corinthians 5, he says, um, that, you know, he who knew no sin became sin, uh, that we might become the righteousness of God. Um, you know, before that would make me, like, that sounds like heretical. That sounds like blasphemy. Like, how could we ever be the righteousness of God? But uh, that's what it says. But then when you think about it, the reason why that's not blasphemy is because when we rise again to our resurrected bodies, we'll be completely pure. But we will still be infinitely less holy than God. Right? Because no matter how pure we are, he's still infinitely more set apart. And that's exactly what God is calling us this morning, is to be set apart as God is set apart. Here's the, here's the issue. The question is, are we set apart? You know, I, I um, Danielle and I, I think this is back when we were in college, we were, um, so I, I think I was like pre-dating phase, I think. And uh, we were listening to uh, some, uh, with our friends, uh, some sermons by John Piper. Uh, man, he's just a man uh, of the Lord. And he told this story of this Italian monk. And he was in this order where uh, they couldn't, they, they had to be silent most of the time. So they could confess their sins to one another. There were like some exceptions. But basically, they had to be silent their whole lives. So this Italian reporter uh, came up to this monk and was like, okay, so just for you know, sake of conversation, um, let's say that atheism was um, true and that your God didn't exist. Um, and you're spending your life like this. Like, what would you think about that? And this monk says, well, you know, um, you know prayer, meditation, you know, uh, those kinds of things, those are, those are sort of beautiful in and of themselves. So, you know, even if, even if God turned out not to exist, uh, then, then it, you know, my life would have, been, would have been worth it. And uh, at that point, John Piper sort of interrupts that story, and he asks the question, is that what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15? Right? Or Second uh, Corinthians 15, is that what he says? Right? What does he say? He says, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, basically if God didn't exist, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then we are the most to be pitied among all men. That's not saying that my life would be worth it even if God didn't exist. That's saying I would be the most pitiful if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. And he says this, John Piper said this, he said, look around you, like, we have so much stuff. We have our nice worship service. We got our church's cars, uh, you know, three-car garages, spouse, kids. Like, everything is lined up for us, right? And he says this, 
are we the most to be pitied? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, are we pitiful? And the answer to that, has, that question has to be no. Why? Because we look like everybody else around us. We look exactly the same, right? Distinguishing between the holy and common, we're indistinguishable from the people around us. And, you know, you might say, well, we look different on the outside. Uh, we look the same on the outside, but on the inside, my heart is different. Well, first of all, first of all, as Pastor Daryl spoke about last week, the outside is just as important as the inside, right? We clean the inside of the cup, and then the outside becomes clean, right? So we should actually look different than the people around us. But, okay, let's say it doesn't matter. Okay, so just, just my heart. Well, let's consider our hearts, are our hearts different than the hearts of the people around us? I mean, we go after the same things. We're, I mean, we're looking for a happy marriage, happy love life, or happy kids. We're looking for comfort, security, our next job. I mean, it looks exactly the same. And here's the thing. Okay, so we don't, you know, I mean, knowing our community, right? I'm not, you know, judging everybody. But knowing our community, we don't, we don't, we're not getting drunk every day of the week. And, you know, we're not, you know, swearing in church, right? So we're like, yeah, we're, we're different. But, you know, there's people out there that have their religious services too, right? There's people right now that are in Cambridge worshiping Mother Earth. <laughs> it's crazy, right? I mean, there's, there's Jews, Muslims, and, and they, they do charitable work. Right? They, they want to be good people. So the question is, how are we different then? How are we set apart then? And uh, honestly, um, you know, I don't, I don't know how to fully answer that question. Uh, and as we go on this journey of holiness together, like, we're in this together, right? We don't have to just figure this out on our own. Right? Our community right now is on a journey. Right? We've been on a journey of hunger. We've been on a journey of trying to go evangelize. And I believe God is bringing us into a season of holiness where we can depend on each other in our struggles and our confusion and our doubt where we can say, let's do this thing together. Let's do this thing together. We're going to go after this. Um, and, I, and I will say, I, I should say at some point um, that this doesn't now mean that we separate ourselves and, and just go to the prayer room and just kind of hide out. And isolate ourselves. I mean, that's actually the easy solution, right? It's much easier to sort of just go to the prayer room and have our own click and just say, yeah, we're holy, we're set apart, we're set apart. That's much easier than the command of the Bible, which is that we be in but not of the world, right? Now, we can't, we can't really go into that in-depth here, but I just want to say that don't hear me wrong. Like, it's not, we're not supposed to just now just do our own thing. That's just so anti-gospel, right? Um, but I do want to um, just go over two quick points on just reflecting on what it means to be set apart. Um, so two quick points. The first one is we need to adopt a sojourner mindset. So um, some quick scriptures. So First Peter chapter 1. Again, we're looking at adopting a sojourner mindset to be set apart, right? Because to be holy is to be set apart. 
So Peter quotes this holiness verse in verse 16. He says, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And then in verse 17 of uh, 1 Peter 1, he says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to one, each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from futile ways. Right? So Peter says, you shall be holy as God is holy or for God is holy. And then he goes into an explanation of what that looks like. And to him, what that looks like is conducting ourselves with fear in the time of exile. And he says the same thing as Leviticus. He says, because you were ransomed from your futile ways. Basically, he bought us at a price. We're no longer our own. He separated us out from the people. He called us, right? And if you think about why why are we in a time of exile? Why are we in a time of exile? Because our citizenship is the heavenly kingdom. Like this stuff, like all this stuff around us, this stuff that we can touch, this tactile stuff, This is not our home. We need to adopt that mindset and say, everything I see around me, this is a foreign country. You know, when you go, when you, when, I don't know if some of you are tourists, the tourist types, but when you go to a different country and you don't know the language, you know, you try to speak a little bit, try to learn some vocabulary from like the tour guide books and stuff, but it will always be foreign to you, right? It will always, you'll never, you'll never fully understand the customs and the cultures and like what, what the heck is going on around you, right? Like, why are these people trying to do this this way? Why are these people trying to sell me this stuff, right? That's how it's going to be. Well, it's the very same thing with our exile here on earth. Where we live here, we live here, but when we look around, it's like, what is this? This is a foreign language to me. This is a foreign culture to me. Yeah, I live here, and, you know, even in Jeremiah, it says that we should pray for the welfare of our city, when they were in exile, right? So we, we, we pray, we minister, but at the same time, we have this view of, this is all strange. Like going after degree after degree, that's a foreign, I don't understand what that is, right? Going after the car, second car, third car, I don't understand what that is, right? Looking for my comfort, looking for my security, making sure I, I make the right investments, have my retirement fund, I have my uh, funds saved up for my co- kid's tuition, right? That's all just... I don't even understand what that is because my citizenship is not of this world. It's of the heavenly city. It's of the new Jerusalem. And, and Peter uses the same idea uh, in, in 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, we see that Peter says, God has chosen you out. This is the, I, I realized when I was studying this, this is what Pastor Bethany always refers to. Um, is the, the phrase peculiar people comes from here. I thought it was a revivalist, but it's just the King James version of this. But this is the verse when he says, you're a peculiar people. You're different from everybody else. And how does he explain that? Again, he says this in verse 11, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. Well, what is a sojourner? A sojourner is someone that's just sort of passing by. They set up a tent. They're like a nomad. They're just passing by, right? They, they rest in one place. It's a temporary stay. Like here, on our, here, you know, here in our lives that we live on earth, it's just a temporary, just everything's dissolving away. 
everything that we see now is, is going to be gone in a little bit because we're moving on to something greater. So that's the sort of uh, first point of, of being set apart is... And there's no, there's no practical applications to this, really. I mean, it, it's, I, mean I, I even feel like I don't have the spiritual jurisdiction to say, like, okay, this is what your life should look like. And so I really, I do pray that the Holy Spirit speaks directly to your heart on what does it look like for me to be an exile in this land. It's a complex topic, but just think that throughout the week. Think that throughout the next couple, like, what does it look like for me to be an exile, that this is not my home at all? I'm just moving on. I'm just moving on. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit will teach that to you because there's nothing that, at least in the amount of time we have, you know, there's nothing that I can really add to that. Uh, but the final point, remember, holiness is to be set apart, to be adopt the sojourner mindset. And then point number two, we love the Father and not the world. So uh, I guess the last scripture here, First um, John 2, 15 through 17, I mean, you all know this. Um, and again, I, when I read this verse, I just think about Americans in general and American Christians, and I'm just like, I don't know how to reconcile how we as a church live in comparison to this verse. I, I, like, that's not a rhetorical device. I actually don't know. And that's something that we as a community, we need to figure out together is what does it look like to obey fully 1 John 2, 15 through 17. But it says this, do not love the world or the things in the world because if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with, along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. How many of us can truly say we don't love the world or the things in the world? And people try to explain it away by saying, no, well, John is talking about these evil desires. I don't, I wouldn't read too much interpretation into that text. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. We're not talking about asceticism. We're not talking about, you know, I don't eat anything except for bread and water because, you know, I'm whole. That's not what we're talking about. Does your heart long for this world and the things of this world? And it seems to me that, yes, as, as just American church, we really love America. We, like, we really love this world. We really love the things that we have. And people say, no, it, it's not about what I have. It's about the heart. But then if that's the case, then why are we accruing wealth instead of spending it for the proclamation of the gospel, instead of spending it for the poor and the needy. What's the reason? And if you go down to the reason, it has to be, I love the world. I don't have an exile mindset. I'm not like, oh, this stuff is not mine. This is all just foreign. It's, I actually love the things that I have. And so again, this is, this, is, you know, this is something that I've been working through personally for, for about a year and a half is what does this look like? And I'm not anywhere near you know, what, knowing what that means. And uh, again, you know, I don't have, I'm not an elder or pastor, so I can't be like, don't watch TV. Like, that's, not, <laughs> that's not in my jurisdiction. Um, and, you know, I, and I know that the, you know, it's not just about you know, giving away 
every, I mean, even though the Bible says, this. so I get, it's a confusing issue, but, you know, I, my instinct is, you know, it's not just sort of legalistically, quote unquote, you're just giving away everything, I can't have any possessions, I can't have any clothes, you know, like, I don't think that's the call. And here's, here's what I want to clarify also is, it's not necessary for salvation that we deny ourselves of the love of the world, right? Or, or at least to the 100% that we're talking about, right? It is necessary for salvation that we love the Father and we don't love sin. But, I mean, just in terms of the things around us, uh, that's not necessary for salvation. But despite the fact that here, up here, I can't really say with full certainty what this all looks like, I believe that there's an invitation from God to our community. Even if it's not a, you must do this, you must not waste your time on Netflix watching things that are immoral, right? Well, that is a must. But, you know, it's, you must not, you know, Facebook, Instagram, well, there's no must, right? And actually, I'm not even sure about that, but I, I, basically, I'm, I, I can't say for certainty that, like, this is what you must do. But what I know with 100% certainty is that there is an invitation to come away. There is an invitation for our church. I have so much hope for every single one of you that you would be those that are set apart for the Lord, that you would be those that are exiles and sojourners in this land, that you would be those that have a love of the Father that is stronger than all the desires of the world. I have hope for every single one of you. There's no judgment. There's no condemnation. The Holy Spirit is working in our hearts, and He is faithful to do it. And so this is the invitation. Psalm 119.37, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways, O God. That we would be a community that turns our eyes from worthless things. Not just the wicked things, not just the evil things, but those things that have no benefit to the glory of God and the advancement of His kingdom. It's an invitation today for all of us. And I personally went through such a struggle, you know, just feeling like I just waste so much time just on meaningless things. Just for me, it was Facebook and just reading random Wikipedia articles, right? For all of us, something different. It's just worth, I mean, Wikipedia is kind of worth, worth it, but, but in, you know what I'm saying, right? But when I found this verse, I don't know when I found it. I mean, I've read through Psalm 119 many times. But when I found this verse, something just leapt out at me off the page. Turn my eyes from worthless things. And I'm telling you, not as, you know, as someone that's super holy or what, but this is just an area that I worked on. And I can guarantee you that you don't need the things that you think you need. I used to have this like emotional dependency, but I'm telling you there's freedom from that. There's deliverance from the desires of the world. There's deliverance from vanity. There's deliverance from looking at worthless things. I love what uh, Leonard Ravenhill said. Apparently, uh, he, he wrote this in a letter or something like that to, um, I think it was uh, Derek Prince or something like that. But he said, others can, you cannot. And there's an invitation that's going out where we come away. And it seems like a tall order, right? What Kathy said, 100%. That's a tall order. But the Lord is faithful and he will do it in our hearts. So yeah, that's, that's all I got.